Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 13. Now, if you remember last week, we talked a little bit about that our tendency is, our focus is, to look at other people rather than ourselves. And if things go bad in their life, we ask that question, what did they do to deserve that? And that's really the incident that came up with Jesus, and Jesus responded, you know, they're no different than you, and if you don't get right, you're going to face the same situation. Now we're getting into the next section of Luke, and it seems like Luke is turning his attention to something completely different, but it actually is connected to the first nine verses, to what we were just talking about there. In verses 10 through 17, we're going to see that he's actually Luke is continuing the whole discussion about how we perceive other people and how we deal with them, and then how Jesus deals with them. And in particular, he's going to be looking at this whole issue of religious self-righteousness. So what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I've been a pastor for a while now. I've been in church for 26 years. And we've been around church people. I've been around church people growing up. You know, when you grow up in South Carolina, that's the Bible Belt. So everybody goes to church. And there is a sense in which there are people who call themselves Christians, but they're like way up here. Do you know what I mean by that? Their attitude, the way they look at people, they're like way up here as far as how they see themselves. And everybody else is way down here. Ever know, do you know what I'm talking about? And that's called self-righteousness. And we're going to see that come out of this passage today, where Jesus is dealing with, again, a healing. is one of the few healings that are going to be mentioned in the last part of Luke. This is, Luke is the only one who mentions this incident that we're going to talk about here today. And it really, the focus isn't so much on the woman who got healed, although we're going to talk about her, but it's going to be focused on the reaction that the healing brings and Jesus' rebuke of it. So we're going to see the reaction, and you're going to be like, what's the big deal? We're going to talk about that, and then we're going to see the rebuke. Now here's the thing, when it comes to the scripture, as we talk, talk about this, here's what I want us to do. We want to, we want to enter into it with a mindset that says, Lord, help me to see myself in this passage. Don't enter into it, Lord, I hope the guy across, the, I hope the guy's on the unpopular side, which is you guys over here, because everybody wants to sit over there. Help the unpopular side see it. No, no, we don't want to have that attitude. Let's, let's look at this passage together, okay? Look with me at verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. When Jesus saw her, he called to her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. 
But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite! Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for the glorious things that were done by him. So here's what we're going to see, folks. We're going to see, first of all, the compassion of Jesus. We're going to see that in verses 10 through 13. Then we're going to look at religious legalism. Now let me just stop. When when we talk about religious legalism later on, some of you would say, well, we don't have a problem with that here. Well, you don't know. There is overt legalism, and then there is invert legalism. And while we may not suffer from overt legalism in our church, we may suffer from invert legalism. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And then we're going to see the rebuke of Jesus, and we're going to see how we're going to apply all of this to our lives. So let's talk about it for a moment. Let's see what's happening here. Jesus is teaching on the Sabbath. Let me remind you what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is not Sunday. I know the Christian churches like to say that the Sabbath is Sunday, but to a Jew, the Sabbath is Saturday. It actually happens on the Friday evening after the meal, all the way to Saturday evening at their meal. So really, Saturday is the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, they would gather in the synagogue. And so Jesus is in the synagogue, as he normally is, and he's been asked to teach. So he's teaching there. And what he sees there is a woman, probably an older woman, who has an infirmity. The scripture describes it as she has an infirmity from Satan. So obviously Satan has tormented her in some way. He doesn't possess her but has tormented her in some way with a physical affliction. And her physical affliction is is that she is bent over. Literally, her, her back bones are, are not right. They've degenerated in such a way that she cannot lift herself up straight. So she walks bent over. Some of us have seen folks like that, haven't we? And she's been in this condition for 18 years. Now, here's what I want you to see from this passage. First thing is, is that her condition made her an outsider. Her condition made her an outsider. Now, what do you mean by that, George? She's in a synagogue. What do you mean she's an outsider? Well, the synagogue was open for people to come to, but there are two things that are going working against this woman. First of all, she's a woman. What does that have to do with it? Well, in the synagogue of those days, whenever they counted people in the synagogue to see what the attendance is, they only counted the men. Women weren't even included in the account. Women were insignificant in the Jewish culture of that time. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's how they viewed it. The other problem is, is she's got a physical problem. She's bent over, and she can't hide it. It's not like, you know, sometimes if we've got a health issue, you can hide it, and you can walk in here, and nobody would know what your health issue is unless you said something about it. She's got a physical problem, so when she walks in, everybody can see it because she's walking in bent over. Now you say, how does that make her an outsider? Well, here's how it makes her an outsider. Remember, we talked about it last week. In their mindset, if you were struggling with any kind of an issue, you must have done something wrong. And your sickness 
And your physical condition, if it was not right, must be the judgment of God against you. So here she is. She's coming to the synagogue week after week for 18 years. And she's got to live with the fact that people don't accept her. And she's not accepted in a place of worship because she's got this physical condition. She's an outsider. Some of you can relate to that. Maybe you don't have a physical condition, but maybe at some point you dreaded even the thought of coming to church because you didn't think that anybody would accept you for who you are. Because maybe you didn't dress right. Maybe you don't live on the right side of the railroad tracks. Maybe you don't got the right kind of job or have a job. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you don't look the right way. Maybe you don't have the right education or whatever. And there's a sense in which you can relate to this lady. So her condition made her an outsider. Now, But I want you to see the wonderful thing is, is when you look at this passage, when you look at verses 10 through 13, I want you to notice something. In fact, let's read it together, and I'll tell you what the point is here. Look with me at verse 12. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and glorified God. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus took the initiative. Jesus takes the initiative. Isn't that awesome? I mean, the way the passage reads, here's what happens. Jesus is teaching. He sees her. And he says, Hey, you, come up here. He doesn't even ask her. He just goes ahead and heals her. Straightens her up after 18 years. And immediately she praises God. She doesn't praise Jesus. She praises God. He takes the initiative. Isn't that awesome about our God? Some of you need to grasp that point. If if you're filling in the bulletin on the back, you need to listen to me. You need to maybe put a star by that one because you need to understand that Jesus is the one who takes the initiative in your life. Some of you are like, I wonder if God's going to work in my life because, you know, if He only knew what I did, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. Folks, we're all sinners. Remember, we already discussed that last week. We all need to get right. And here's a woman who's been struggling for 18 years, and Jesus sees her, and it's not an option. I mean, notice, it's not like he sat there and pondered, what should I do about this? It says he, the way the language is, it's like he said, he saw her, and he said, hey, you! Isn't that awesome about Jesus? That's his compassion. Wish the story ended there. Wish that was true of, of, of all our churches, that people could come in with their issues, people could come in with their struggles and with their addictions, and, 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 and they could come in, and, and, and Jesus could take the initiative in their life, and they could find healing. I wish it would end there, but it doesn't end there. Because sadly, I'll be honest with you, we got one problem. We've got a problem. You know what the problem is? Ourselves. It's ourselves. It's not Jesus. It's ourselves. Because look what happens. Look with me. Verse 13. Excuse me, verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work and therefore come and be healed on them, not on the Sabbath day. Here's what I want you to see. Religion responds with indignation. Religion responds with indignation. This guy is torqued. I mean, think about it. I mean, it kind of blows your mind. It's like, man, what planet are you from? 
I mean, this woman, she's been bent over for 18 years. Something's going on wrong there. And Jesus comes, and he just touches her, tells her she's loose from it, and she's healed. People are praising Jesus, and you're mad. That's what self-righteousness does. That's what religious self-righteousness does. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it didn't fit into your little box of what you think should happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? It didn't fit into your little box of what you think should happen. What do you mean, your little box? Well, here's, here's the thing. You can have little boxes of what you think should happen. It's like, okay, we're here to help people. We're here to help them. We got programs. We got, we got groups. We got, we got resources. We're here to help you through your issues. But, it only can be this type of person. Everybody else forget about them. That can be your little box. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if somebody else outside of that group of people that you think is acceptable, something nice happens with, hey, we're ministering to the wrong people. It's happened. It's happened, folks. Where I, I, I know of pastors who get in trouble because the church may be growing, but the people who are in charge don't like it because it's not the right kind of people coming. I thought Jesus called everybody. Do you see what I'm saying? This is religion. This is what legalism does. This is this is the issue. Because you could say, "Oh, we're not a legalistic church," and folks, we're not. If we if we can do the electric slide at a rate, skating rink, we are not legalistic here. Okay. Okay. But folks, we can be because we can be legalistic about other things, and we can sit in the door and be gatekeepers and say, "Only you know, only these type of people should come." Here's the other thing. Religion is consumed with rules. Here's what happened. Jesus got in trouble a lot with the religious leaders of his day because he would do things like this. He would heal people on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was was a very special day. It was the day of rest. And God had said in his word, in the commandment, to keep the Sabbath holy and you were not to work. Now, here's what the religious leaders would do. They came along and, and they decided, well, you know what, we want to make, make the Sabbath, you're not to work. So they defined what work was. And literally, volumes were published on what work was and what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Hey, they're still doing it today. I mean, just a few months ago, I'm listening to the news, and a big discussion of the religious authorities in Israel today is whether or not an elevator can go to each floor individually, whether or not that's work, or, or whether or not a video camera that's at the Temple Mount, if that's work when it comes on. Wow. See, religion is consumed with rules, and, and, and they had a rule, get this now, doctors couldn't work on the Sabbath. And see, healing was seen as the practice of medical arts. So if you got six, you got six days to worry about getting sick then, but on the Sabbath, you're dead, you're dead. I mean, that's the way, that's religion. Religion is consumed with rules. It's concerned with the nitty-gritty. And, and what's going on here is, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here because we're getting ready to see how Jesus rebukes them. See, this is the thing. We can get so consumed with rules. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you folks. I've had to, aren't you glad I'm your pastor now, not 17 years ago? What do you mean? Well, Lori will tell you, I was wound tight. I was really wound tight. I was legalistic. 
I was wound tight. But here's what, you know what changed me? Changed me about eight years ago. Eight years ago, I'm talking with someone and they're struggling with an addiction to heroin. And I'm, I'm listening to them, I'm interacting with them, and they want to know about Jesus. And here's what I came to. I came to a conclusion. I came to a big conclusion that, wrote, that changed things in my mind, changed things in my ministry. Here's what it changed. Here's my discussion that went on in my brain. Why are you here in their life, George? Are you here to make them a middle-class, white, Anglo-Saxon Protestant? Or are you here to make them a follower of Jesus Christ? Folks, before, I was here to change people's behaviors and their lifestyle. And that moment was a shift in my mind. And I realized that I was a legalist. And I was worried about rules. And I got angry when they weren't being followed. See, that's legalism. And you and I, I mean, I'm talking about me, you and I can get in that place. Because here's the problem with it. Notice how Jesus rebukes him. Immediately, the guy says, and look, he can't even talk to Jesus directly. I mean, have you ever had anybody do that? You've done wrong, and the person who's in charge doesn't talk to you directly. They talk about you in a roundabout way. So he's looking at everybody else but Jesus and says, there are six other days on which to be healed. Come back then. It's like he can't say to Jesus, don't do the healing on the Sabbath. So here's what Jesus does. Look at the response. Verse 15. The Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? Here's what I want you to see how Jesus responds. First of all, they were nothing more than hypocrites. First thing he says to them, you're a hypocrite. Listen, folks, what do you mean by that, George? Well, you know, here's the thing. How many of you keep the rules perfectly? How many of you can do that? Just try driving through Kerwinsville one day. Are you doing 25? No, you're mad at the dude that is doing 25. Right? Did you understand what I'm saying? So, and you're going to sit there in judgment. He was going really fast through town. Until the guy you're talking to sees you the next day going really fast through town. And he's thinking the same thing. Well, you're a hypocrite. See, they were nothing more than hypocrites. They were saying one thing, and here's the thing. They were saying one thing, they were passing judgment on others, they were viewing others in a way that they themselves can't live up to. In fact, that's what Jesus points out here. They made exceptions for themselves. I mean, Jesus goes right to the heart of it, because he says, I mean, here's the thing, the guy says, don't do healing, that's work on the Sabbath. Jesus says, you know what, you're nothing but a hypocrite, here's why. How many of you, and every one of them did, had an ox or a donkey? If they were of wealth, and usually a synagogue ruler had some wealth, he's picking right thing to talk about. He says, how many of you who have an animal will not take it out of the stall and take it to be watered on the Sabbath? Isn't that work? Now, here's the crazy thing. They did have a rule about that. You could do that, and the animal could drink. You just couldn't hold the bucket for him. That's work. You see how ridiculous it gets? He's saying they 
made exceptions for themselves. Have you noticed that with religious people? With self-righteous religious people? They'll pass judgment on everybody else, but when it comes to them doing it, oh, well, you know, there's a reason why we had to do that. Look, I can almost guarantee you, if the woman that he had healed had been this guy's mama, he wouldn't have raised an issue. You know what I'm saying? If this woman who had been bound by 18 years with this crippling condition had been his mama and Jesus healed him, he wouldn't be saying, you need to wait till Monday. See, this is the thing. When you think about us passing judgment on other people, and we think, well, you know, I don't really think they should be because of this, that, or another. Look at your own life. Don't you make exceptions in that area yourself? And you don't need to ponder that question for a while. The answer is yes, we do. You know what I'm saying? We make exceptions for ourselves. This is the rebuke that Jesus is giving them. Why? Because they overlook the important for the insignificant. They overlooked the important for the insignificant. How do I know that they overlooked it? Look at what Jesus says there, verse 16. Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound of it, and then notice that right in the midst of it, you have three little words that are interjected in it, because he wants you to think about it. She's been bound. She's been suffering. Should she not be loosed? On God's day? See, that's what we do. We have this tendency to focus on the insignificant. And we miss, miss the most important. You know, it's like following the letter of the law, but forgetting the spirit of the law. You know what I mean? And you wonder why sometimes we have this attitude about God that he is this guy that's ready to crush us and destroy us and make our life miserable and give me four flat tires on the expressway when there's big traffic and snow. That's our attitude about God. Where did it come from? It didn't come from God, folks. It came from us. It came from our own legalism and the stuff we focus on. Isn't it what we do? I mean, we've got this, you know, I, I, you, for years we heard stuff like, well, I don't know if they're really saved. Why? Because they're still struggling with stuff. Well, aren't you? Theirs is smoking. Yours is gossip. You know what I mean? See, we overlook the, they overlook the important for the insignificant. So you say, okay, George, how do we, how do we bring this down? What's, what's the point here Luke's trying to make for our lives? Well, here's the first question. Don't let this one pass you by. Are you self-righteous? I already know the answer. Hopefully you do too. Yes. Yes. You and I are self-righteous. We judge other people. Even when wonderful things go and happen in their lives and Jesus does wonderful things, we ignore it. Focus on what? The negative about them. Well, that's, that's okay that God did that for them, but they're still struggling in this area. They haven't got their act together here. Have you looked in the mirror? Since when have you got your act together? So are you self-righteous? And then, so, I mean, if you're really wrestling with that one, here's another question for you. Who are the outsiders in your life? 
You want to know who, if you're self-righteous, who are the outsiders in your life? Who are those that you look down upon for whatever reason? Is it people with purple hair? You know, I mean, what is it? That wasn't good because there was a time when nobody had purple. Now everybody does, so. I mean, who is it? Who is it in your life that you're looking down upon? Is it because they don't work or they're on disability or because they do work? Is it because they're in management, because they're not in management? Is it because they're educated, because they're not educated? Is it because they're struggling with an addiction to drugs in this area? Or is it because, you know, it's really interesting. When you get in recovery and you find out that alcoholics look down on, on drug addicts because their addiction is legal? That's self-righteousness, folks. Who are the outsiders in your life? Better yet, let's, let's take it one step further, because we're talking about us as a church here. Who are the outsiders in our church? I mean, we're having fun together. We're there for each other. But is there somebody that you would be uncomfortable with if they came? That's something you've got to ask yourself. Now, nobody's going to say that out loud. Yeah, George, I'm, I'm really, I don't want any of those people to come. Nobody's going to say that out loud because they're going to know they're going to get squashed. But you're sitting there maybe thinking about it. And maybe you're not even, maybe you're not even thinking about it because maybe you're not even aware until they show up. Then you're uncomfortable. Then you're wondering, why are they here? And I've heard that before. It wasn't this church. It was another church. We don't need their kind here. Believe me, we need more of their kind if we're struggling with that kind of attitude. So here's what we need to do. Here's the action point. Change the direction of your life. Who do you want to be like? I mean, this is a pretty stark contrast here. Who do you want to be like? Do you want to be like those who rejoiced when that woman found healing after 18 years? Or do you want to be like the dude who got mad because the rules weren't being followed? Who do you want to be like? I'll tell you who I want to be like. I want to be like those who were excited because somebody found healing. And maybe they weren't perfect. But Jesus healed them. Do you know what I mean? I do not want to be like that dude who got upset because it happened on a Saturday. Change the direction of your life. That's going to have to be you. Nobody else can do it for you. I can't do it for you. You've got to make that change. You've got to go to him and say, Lord, I am just like that guy. When it comes to this group of people, I am just like that guy. Change me. You can change me, Lord. Believe me, he will. 
He will. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.